This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. And Mama, can I tell you, I am just so happy and grateful that you are here today. No matter whether you are covered and spit up and have a messy bun and, you know, in your house clothes, as we call it, or whether you are out and on the move and in the car buckled in or got your walking shoes on, either way, I am so grateful that you've carved out this time not only to be here with me, but also for yourself. Today, I'll be hanging out with Dr. Nichelle Haynes. She is a reproductive psychiatrist that focuses on mental health during infertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. She works at the Reproductive Psychiatry Clinic of Austin, where she serves as the CEO and is a wife and mom of two young boys. She recently co-founded Aluma, a self-discovery workbook and audio guide for moms. On today's episode, we're going to take a look at PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. PMDD is different from PMS, and we'll dive into how hormones can impact mood disorders, what this looks like after children, and when and how to seek treatment. Moms can be affected by so many things in our bodies and the environment that it can be hard to distinguish between the -the run-of-the-mill PMS and mood swings and when it may actually be something more serious. Dr. Nichelle and I are going to break it all down for you and offer some really incredible insights on PMDD. Before diving into my conversation with Dr. Nichelle, let's hear the iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Scientific Havoc, and it is titled, A Must Listen for All New Moms. I just listened to this podcast, episode number 58 on resentment, for the first time last night, and I bawled my eyes out. It was so cathartic to hear someone else talk about what I'm feeling and what I had gone through. As a first-time mom, and in the pandemic no less, I had nobody but my husband to turn to for support. My mom, sisters, and best friends were thousands of miles away. This podcast made me feel like I was finally understood for the first time since my baby was born. I wish I knew about it during my fourth trimester. Thank you so much. Every time I read these reviews, it gives me such goosebumps. It is so powerful to know that these conversations help you all to truly feel seen and understood. There is nothing I want more for this platform and for my voice, but to help you better understand yourself and know that you are not flawed in any way, you are not failing, and that there are these universal things that we experience in motherhood that are challenging and we all go through them, but often we do it in shame and in silence on our own. So thank you. And you are seen and you do have a place here and in this community. So thank you for sharing that review. And as always, anything that you guys can do to spread the word, share this podcast with mommy friends, tag me in social media. That is bread and butter for me as a creator and a podcaster. And you never know whose day you might change or whose postpartum you might shift by helping them find this resource. So thank you so much. And let's hear my conversation with Dr. Nichelle. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. 
I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Nichelle, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Off air, you were just sharing one of your littles is sick, and I know what it's like to mom and be a professional and show up on an interview. So thank you for prioritizing being here with us. I'm really excited to talk with you. I have someone watching the kid. I can just come here and be with you and do this. I've really been looking forward to it he's okay and we'll do this. More fun for me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's probably just chilling, watching a cartoon or something. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I would love to know. So you are a reproductive psychiatrist Mm -hmm. and I would love to know, I love to learn about people's stories. Like how did you come to specialize in reproductive psychiatry? Because there's so many I feel like there's so many ways you could have taken it. And in some ways, like MDs or therapists can be general practitioners in a way, but you really niche down and hone in. And how did you get there? I don't have like the best story for this. It's just something that has really resonated with me. And I really feel a great connection with this population. And I get a lot out of it myself. Mm -hmm. And when I left residency, when I graduated from residency, I took a job in an inpatient psychiatric unit where the acuity was really high. Everyone was really sick. And I found myself really gravitating towards moms, women, people who were struggling in like the perinatal period, whether they were pregnant, experiencing infertility in the postpartum period. And I somehow convinced my hospital to let me open a women's unit where we cared for people doing, you know, perinatal work or just women in general. And it was such a therapeutic environment not to have to worry about another person there who may not, you know, understand what you're experiencing. It was just a really supportive environment. I just really gravitated towards caring for those people and like kind of creating that community, whether it was for a short period of time or longer. And it just made me feel good. I really enjoyed it. And then I met my practice partner, who's like pretty much my work wife. We spend all the time, all day talking about... Is that you know, Dr. Kristen? Yeah, Kristen Lasseter. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. talk every day. You know, we're, we're business partners. We're friends. We have our kids hang out together all the time. So cute. And it just made sense for me to join her. Like I saw her vision for the practice and I was like, just let me come on. Let's just do this together. And it's been wonderful. I left my inpatient job and it has just been such a breath of fresh air for my life. And I love the work that I'm doing. And it's just kind of grown here on social media. And it's it's just been wonderful. So it's not a great story. It's just like, I love it. No, it is a great story. I think that some of the most compassionate and caring professionals are the ones that have a real vested like passion in the work that they do. So I love that. And I love that you just kind of followed where you were most passionate about. I know that I've had Dr. Kristen on a couple of times and I really love 
talking with reproductive psychiatrists, generally speaking, because it's such a good compliment to the work that I do. Like I find I'm often like consulting with other professionals and things. Mm -hmm. And one of the topics or the topic that we're going to dive into today is one that I feel like comes up. It's not postpartum specific. It's for, you know, menstruators, but can be, you know, before baby, after baby, I'm sure any time of our, like the mm-hmm. female lifespan, but maybe we'll even mm-hmm. talk about most common sort of onset times Sure, is PMDD, so premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So can we just start with a definition of PMDD for those who are listening who may have no idea what it is we're even referring to? Okay, so PMDD stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And if you kind of break the name down, you can kind of understand what it means. So pre is before, menstrual is like your menstrual cycle, like your period. Dysphoric is like just negative emotions, like cranky, sad, that kind of thing. And disorder means it's causing problems in your life. So essentially, it's before your period, having significant symptoms related to your mood, anxiety, that are causing significant problems. And so this would differ from PMS Mm -hmm. in what way? So the main difference from PMS is the severity, meaning that PMDD is more severe. The most defining characteristic when you're looking to distinguish PMS from PMDD would be like kind of the mood swing category. So we're talking about Sensitivity to rejection, mood swings, feeling tearful for what seems like no reason, crying spells, or just like sudden onset sadness. That wouldn't be very typical of PMS. Mm. Does anxiety tie into PMDD? For example, after ovulation for the week or two leading into period increased levels of anxiety? Or is it specifically about low mood, would you say? So it can be either. Mm -hmm. So you have to have some change in your mood or anxiety. Okay. So that's one of the defining characteristics. So it could be the mood swings. It could be irritability, which could present as like difficulty with your people, like, you know, your coworkers or your spouse or your kids or whatever. You could also have depressed mood for just that period of time, like feeling down, sad, or it could be anxiety Okay. or feeling like significantly keyed up. Mm. You know, that feeling of like internal anxiety, people will say like, I just feel like on edge or keyed up or tense or something. So it has to be one of those things. It could be any of them. It could be a combination of a few of them, but it has to at least be one of those things. Okay. And is there any sort of time when we would usually see that shift in mood happen? Is it like a week before period, two weeks before period? So it can be anywhere in that range. It has to be one or two weeks before the period. And the reason we think that it may occur that way is that we have cyclical changes in our mood. I'm going to say women for the sake of simplicity, but this really means anyone who has uterus or a menstrual cycle. Yes. I don't mean to be excluding anyone. It's just a little bit simpler to say woman, but know that I mean anyone who has a uterus. So this could be a trans man or someone who's non-binary, but anyone who has a uterus. Mm -hmm. So uterus havers or ovary havers Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, will have cyclical changes in our mood, which are about, you know, anywhere from like 25 to 30 something days long. So 
It can vary in the time, of course, 25 to 30 something days. But essentially what happens is two weeks before we menstruate, there should be an ovulation. And that is caused by an abrupt increase then decrease in certain hormones. Mm-hmm. And during the second half of the cycle, after the ovulation, we have a big decrease. And that's the time when the mood can be difficult for some people. Mm-hmm. So it could be anywhere from one to two weeks, depending on how quickly those things change and how sensitive someone is to that big change in hormones after ovulation. And that's one of the things that I understand is it has a lot to do with the individual's sensitivity to the change Mm -hmm. and not so much with the actual level of hormones themselves. Like, for example, I had done some like hormone testing with a naturopath because I was experiencing some of this from ovulation to period, like post babies, and we can get into it a little bit. And I'm just like, something is just kind of off. And then we we looked and actually hormone levels are within, you know, optimal to maybe like, you know, lower end of optimal range, but still within like clinically normal ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, but the sensitivity and shift of my mood to those hormones changing is something that I feel, even Mm -hmm. though on paper it doesn't show it, if that makes sense. Right. So we don't know necessarily who these people are, either by looking at them or by testing their hormones, but there are definitely some people, a subset of women who are sensitive to that change. It's important to remember that our reproductive hormones are closely related to our mood for most people because we have receptors in our brain for our reproductive hormones Mm -hmm. that they regulate serotonin, they regulate norepinephrine, GABA has recently been implicated. There's all these different things that the reproductive hormones affect within our brains. Mm -hmm. So they don't exist like independent of each other. And there are just some people for whom those changes are much more impactful for their mood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it's been like, I don't know, like demonize is the word or it's like, oh, it's just like a hormonal, like you're just PMS. Like it's kind of like weaponized mm-hmm, against us. Mm-hmm. So often when we have conversations about like our hormones or about something like a PMDD, mm-hmm. uh, we might feel the desire to like resist because sometimes it is weaponized against us. But I think it's really important and also really empowering when we can understand our bodies a little bit better and know the best ways to take care of our health and our mental health, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's that same thing, like, oh, you're cranky one time. Oh, are you on your period? Well, that really has nothing to do with the fact that you were just rude to me or whatever happens. (laughs) Like, you're right. It's totally weaponized Mm -hmm. and not really that well understood. Mm -hmm. Like, the brain is kind of like our last frontier and women especially mm. to understand as far as, you know, science and biology and physiology. We don't really understand women's bodies as we do men's. Which is shifting more and is exciting to see as mm-hmm. as there's more research being carved out in this area. So when it comes to PMDD stuff or when it comes to periods postpartum, like maybe we just have a conversation about this piece mm-hmm. because I hear a lot from moms, either their first period back is a real big impact on their mood mm-hmm. or you and I had been back and forth in DMs. There was like questions coming in about mood around period in the postpartum. Mm-hmm. How do we kind of suss out some of this stuff? Like what 
might be something that's like a PMDD? What is something kind of in the postpartum? Like, I feel like it can get confusing. It's really confusing. And that's why this specialty exists, because it takes a lot of practice and a lot of patience and asking all the right questions at the right times Mm -hmm. um, and getting lucky (laughs) in asking all of those questions and knowing what they need to be. The first period postpartum can be really difficult for a lot of reasons. During pregnancy, there are big changes in hormones, but not in the same way that we're used to. So we're used to kind of the up and the down and the up and the down every month. But during pregnancy, we just have like steady increase in hormones that are designed to help, you know, keep you pregnant and prepare your body for delivery and feeding your baby, that that is kind of a different change in our hormones. And then when we go back to the cyclical, it can feel sort of foreign. And there are also some, you know, social or emotional implications of the first period. It might be around the same time that you either weaned or stopped breastfeeding It can, you know, be triggering if you had difficult periods before. It can remind you of maybe some trauma that you experienced during birth. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why that first period can be really difficult. Mm. So it, it really is kind of different person to person. But I think the most common thing that I see is that it just sort of wasn't expected or it wasn't at a time where they were feeling good anyway, Mm, you know, mm. like with weaning or something like that. Yeah, I think that the weaning piece is a big part of it too, right? Because like our hormones are changing there as well. So I've had three boys and with the first period back for each of them, I was nursing and it came back like between eight and 12 weeks for each of them, even though I was like exclusively nursing. And I remember the week leading up to it saying things to my husband that were very uh, like indicative of postpartum depression. Like I really don't feel like myself. Mm -hmm. I feel so overwhelmed. I'm not coping well. I feel anxious when you go to work and I'm with the kids and like all of these things that are red flags that as a practitioner that I keep an eye out for. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, like within that week, I would get my period and then mood would level out again. And, you know, it was just kind of like my system <laughs> rebooting or something. <laughs> it was just like so distinct with each of them. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case for some. And you had mentioned weaning. And when we're weaning and we've got those changes mm-hmm. in our body happening as well as our like whole, you know, cycle booting back up. It's a lot of hormonal changes happening in our body all at the same time. Right. It's really complicated. Yeah. Okay. So in the postpartum period and like as it or as it relates to our cycles, is PMDD the only sort of cyclical cycle mood disorder or disorder? Or are there others that are related to our menstrual cycles? So that's a very complicated question. Yes. <laughs> Everything here is going to be nuanced, right? Right. I think it's important to recognize that a lot of psychiatric illness can be worsened in this time mm. or, you know, kind of the, the week or two before the period. That has been shown in several studies So anything can be worsened or cyclical based on this. And I think it's an important point and something I really wanted to make clear is that people with PMDD essentially have no symptoms outside of this period of time. So when they're, you know, maybe the first couple of days of their period, they may still be having some symptoms, but after that, things will kind of level out. They will be good for one to three weeks 
and then it will happen again. So people with PMDD at baseline show essentially no symptoms. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the differentiating features of PMDD that kind of say it's not major depressive disorder or generalized anxiety or something else, but that there are a very significant number of people who will come to me and say like, hey, I think I have PMDD. I looked it up on the internet and we talked through the whole thing. And at baseline, they meet criteria for something else. And that's a very legitimate occurrence that they have depression and it's much worse during that time Mm. of their cycle right before their period. So that happens a lot. It's not technically PMDD. We would call it major depressive disorder or whatever they're experiencing, which has a exacerbation around this time. That is such an important thing to highlight and really makes me think. And and I have had a similar conversation, I feel like, with Dr. Kristen as well, where any of these things that might be underlying Mm -hmm are really sort of like stirred up. Mm-hmm. You know, they they might like settle and then they get like stirred up when there are shifts in hormones. And so that can apply to maybe why there is such an onset during the postpartum period where maybe we had baselines. I would definitely say I was an anxiously wound person mm-hmm. before kids, manageable. But in the postpartum period, something that became unmanageable during that time, Mm -hmm. or maybe even that's part of being sensitive to hormones. Like it it is an underlying consistent. I can see that throughout other times of life, right? But what you're saying with PMDD specifically is that for those first two weeks, there's a real absence of symptoms. Like that's Mm -hmm. really like we're functioning and there's no interference. And then when we ovulate or when those hormones shift, then there are symptoms that are disruptive and debilitating and hard to manage. Right, exactly. One thing that I see really commonly and is important to kind of tease out when having this conversation with a clinician of any kind is a lot of people with PMDD, of course, being a disorder, that means it causes problems in your life. And one of the kind of defining characteristics is that you can have like some interpersonal difficulties, like I said, like with your spouse or family or whoever else it is that you're around. So I'll see a lot of people who during the two weeks of symptoms, you know, kind of create some fractures in relationships. Mm. And then they spend the other two weeks trying to repair that. And so essentially their entire life revolves around either anticipating, experiencing, or recovering from these two weeks. Mm. So it's not necessarily that, you know, they have major depressive disorder, which is exacerbated, We need to make sure that it's not that they're just, you know, feeling bad about what had occurred when they were having their symptoms. I see what you mean. So we look for other things too, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not just like, oh, are you trying to repair a relationship and you're kind of feeling a little bit down or kind of like bummed about that when you're not having symptoms, then you have symptoms, Mm -hmm. then you're repairing again, right? So we want to look for other symptoms of major depressive disorder rather than just the ones that come along with kind of repairing after the fractured time of symptoms. Yeah. It makes me think of like a guilt hangover hangover. hangover for all that has just happened, right? Yeah. Versus a real lethargic, low mood, sort of like depressive 
thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like that analogy hangover. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because the more we talk about it and the more we pick apart the pieces, the more I really suspect that with a lot of the clients I see, it is an underlying mood or anxiety thing Mm -hmm. that is more aggravated during this time of their cycle. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about ways to go about treating And from what I'm hearing, and maybe some of the clients that you deal with, PMDD gets to like a really disruptive place. Right. Would we say that this is on a scale or a continuum that people can experience as PMDD? Like, I guess that continuum is kind of PMS, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Right. If we're kind of conceptualizing it as a continuum, I would definitely place PMS on that continuum. Yeah. And then, of course, just as with anything else, there are some people who experience it worse than others. I think definitely, like you said, trying to figure out what the baseline is like to make sure that we are not missing something a little bit bigger and then treating this incorrectly Mm. is a big piece of trying to figure out kind of where you fall on that continuum. Because if your baseline is pretty low or you're feeling really down then it may not seem like it's really severe compared to your baseline when, in fact, if we were to improve your baseline, it would seem pretty severe how bad you're feeling. Right. I see what you're saying. Okay. Really interesting. So when I had Dr. Kristen on and we were talking about trying to understand hormones and mental health and the correlation, which is such a muddy, unclear thing in research right now, Mm -hmm. but we tried our best to like unpack what we currently do know. So when it comes to PMDD and if somebody is suspecting that they might have something like this, what are the treatment options for it. And then I'm going to also come back after too, if they're listening to this and, and understanding that maybe it's mild anxiety or depression that is maybe bumped into moderate to severe during their cycle. Mm-hmm. How might we deal with that? So we'll kind of go both places. Okay. So we can start by talking about very clear cut PMDD, no symptoms, then definite symptoms during the um, period right before the period. Yeah. There are a couple of things that we can do that are not medications, which I love to try those first, Mm -hmm. especially if we're looking at something that's a little bit more mild. If it's definitely really severe, we talk about medications, but I think it's always nice if we can avoid them. So exercise is actually an evidence-based way of improving PMDD. Mm -hmm. We aren't exactly sure why, but consistent exercise can be helpful. Cognitive behavioral therapy, which is like everyone's mainstay of therapy, can be really effective as well. Some clinicians will recommend like some dietary changes, like sugar, caffeine, salt, you know, kind of the typical things that people will talk about. There's not a whole lot of actual evidence for that, except for general health, but there's not a whole lot for PMDD. So if we're looking at supplements, there are a couple that have some, you know, pretty decent data. Calcium supplementation at like 1,200 milligrams a day has been shown to have some improvement for PMS or PMDD symptoms. Vitamin B6 has been shown to have, you know, some improvement. That one I would caution against using without talking to your physician because too much can cause problems. Whereas, you know, with with other things, you basically just pee it out. Mm. But with B6, I would definitely talk to your doctor before considering adding that into your regimen. Some less less convincing data, magnesium, vitamin E. Some people like chasteberry. I'm not really convinced for PMDD. 
maybe for PMS, I might say like, go ahead and give it a try. But for PMDD, I think we probably just skip over that uh, unless you're really interested in trying that. Mm. Um, It's kind of a personal decision there. So there are some, you know, like behavioral lifestyle supplement kind of things that we can do that are, you know, fairly effective. Mm -hmm. But if we're looking at including medications in the conversation about improving symptoms, there are a couple of ways to consider dosing or um, consider how you would take your medications. Right. What most people will say is we'll use like an SSRI, which is like your typical antidepressant class of medication. So like fluoxetine, paroxetine, escitalopram, citalopram, that kind of class of medications. You can use those only during the time of the month where you have symptoms. Mm-hmm. That kind of goes against our knowledge and our typical dogma of how we use antidepressant medications. We say they're not really all that effective until two to six weeks or so. They're used a little bit differently if we're just treating PMDD. You can use them just during the time of symptoms, those two weeks. And that's pretty effective. We have some good information that that works. Another option is to just use it on days where you experience symptoms. And that's a little bit different than the days that you expect symptoms. So this would kind of be a reactionary way of treating. Mm. Say like, oh, I have a bad day. I'm going to take some medication. I'm less inclined to do that because we're not that great about knowing how bad we feel often, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Especially if we don't know our baseline, as you said, right? Like our baseline for what is normal. Mm -hmm. And this was something that I didn't learn until I went through this Mm -hmm. experience in my own postpartum. As a mental health professional, I had no idea that my baseline was actually low and, Mm -hmm. and way wound up at the same time until I got some treatment for postpartum depression anxiety after my third and was like, Oh, shoot. This is what baseline is supposed to feel (laughs) like. I've lived my entire life in sloth mode. There was just a huge wake up and I coped and I managed and because I've known the skills to manage, but I had no real marker for what that baseline actually should feel like. Right. Exactly. And it was a a big wake up call. Right. So I almost never ever use it that way. What I end up doing the most is we find people who have a baseline difficulty um, saying they have like, you know, major depressive disorder or some anxiety or whatever it may be. My preference is to dose it all the time Mm -hmm. and get the baseline kind of up to where they're feeling relatively good during the time of the month where they don't have PMDD symptoms. And then after we get the baseline up, we'll go ahead and add in a little bit extra medication during the two weeks that they're expecting symptoms. Gotcha. So it's kind of a a combination of how we would treat both things. So like if we're going to treat depression, we just have an SSRI or an antidepressant on board all the time. And then if we're treating PMDD, we treat during those couple of weeks. So basically it's just a combination of doing those two things. And I find that's pretty effective for treating people who have a baseline issue and then kind of an exacerbation of their mood around the two weeks of their period. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, 
and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. I think that where I can really see therapy and the behavioral pieces tying into this are when we think that we should always be operating at our baseline and always at our best and we set like rigid expectations for ourselves, or we have a to-do list or we're perfectionist, right? And then we have to tune into ourselves and what our realistic capacity is on that day and learn to be compassionate with ourselves and learn to be flexible in our thinking and our expectations, Mm -hmm. sometimes day to day or week to week, depending on what's going on for us. Mm -hmm. And those are skills that therapists really work through if we find ourselves 
you know, our mood shifting from time to time. And I had a really interesting conversation with a client earlier this week where they were like explaining how they set their expectations and goals for themselves often on days when they're feeling their best and they're feeling good. Oh, yeah. I have an example of this this week. Things are just starting to open in Ontario. We've been in lockdown for God knows how freaking long. And, <laughs> um, and so we're allowed to go to outdoor boot camps. And I haven't worked out since like the beginning of COVID because every gyms, everything here have been closed. Right. And I like came out of the gym and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. I should like make plans with a friend tonight. I should like whatever, all this stuff. And I'm like, I should probably wait till the end of the day after I've done all my momming duties and things before I go committing all my time away right now because I'm feeling good. My capacity is up right now. Like I'm feeling great, right? Right. So we have these conversations with clients in session where it's like, just because we make a commitment for ourselves when we are on a, you know, high capacity day or a day when we're feeling great doesn't mean that tomorrow our capacity might not look a little bit different especially in motherhood, especially in postpartum, right? right? So so those are the types of pieces that like therapy and medication make such a great pairing at times, oftentimes, mm-hmm. because we're kind of coming at it from both directions. Right, exactly. I think I do this to myself as well. I mean, I'll think of a time like, hey, remember that day where you cleaned the entire house and did three loads of laundry and you made a nutritious dinner and you felt awesome? Remember that day? <laughs> Let's do that day again. And I'm not there at that place every single day. There's right? no way possibly no. to be there. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is that we all have a like an average level of functioning and there are days where we will be over that average. And of course, by definition of the average, there have to be days where we underfunction. Hmm. Because if you continue to function over the average, then that's not your average anymore. You just continually move up your average. You have to rest, or else you're just going to continually expect more and more and more of yourself. That's not mm-hmm. fair for you to continually move your average up. Mm. That's not how that works. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm so guilty of that. Oh, me too. <laughs> so I mean, that's why I know I'm it. Like, <laughs> I feel like a type A, you know, achieving, recovering perfectionist type that I am. I'm like, so I did that and let's do more this time. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> you know? Totally. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think that resonates with all of us at some level. Like, oh, remember yeah. that great day? Well, we don't have to have yeah. that day every day. We have to rest or else we're just continually asking more and more of ourselves. It's not fair. What do you think about or what would you say to clients who feel that they might get stuck in that mood if they allow themselves to have the moment? Do you know what I mean? It's like if I allow myself to slow down and acknowledge my capacity is low today, is that mood going to swallow me up? Am I going to be confused with it? Like there's almost like a fear to have that like Mm -hmm. not the low day, but how did you refer to it? That kind of like below average day where it's kind of a Mm – lower functioning day. I can't remember the exact terminology you used. Under functioning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, we all need rest. This is why sleep exists. Right. Right. Like we don't guilt ourselves for sleeping most of the time. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the same function. You're not going to sleep forever. You're going to rest when you rest and you're going to wake up and you're going to do your things again that you can be sad when you need to be sad. And no emotion is permanent. Right. Nothing is permanent. If you let yourself experience it, nothing is permanent. And you already have some momentum behind you that you're allowed to like slow down a little bit, that the momentum that you have in your life is going to carry you through the next things, that there are some things that you just kind of have to do. 
And you're going to continue to do those things. You're not going to get stuck in bed. Mm -hmm. It's so important for us as moms to give ourselves permission to underfunction sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, right? I think about this perfect mother myth and this intensive mothering that is expected of our generation mm -hmm. to be on and to be doing the things all the time that to underfunction or to allow ourselves rest or to allow myself to say, hey, guess what? My house is a mess right now, but I'm going to bed or I'm going to just sit and have a coffee and not do anything about it almost feels like an admitting that we're failing at our job or like we're mm -hmm. not, we're you yeah. know, like we're not doing it right. right. But we need to give ourselves permission to have those mm -hmm. times. Right. I mean, I'll give you an example from my personal life is that Every Friday in June, they're doing some kind of like themed event at daycare. <laughs> and last week was tie-dye week. And we own zero tie-dye things in my house somehow. And I thought, okay, I have this shirt. It's like I could go get some dye. I could do all the things. Like I just, I, I could totally do it. But I did not want to. I like really wanted to rest. I wanted to kind of recover from the week. And I didn't make anything tie-dye. I didn't buy anything tie-dye. And I was really feeling the guilt the day they went to school. And turns out, almost <laughs> no one else did it. And turns out, my kids didn't feel left out. And they didn't care. Like, it was just fine. Yeah. They're not, like, permanently scarred because I didn't send them to school in tie-dye one day. Like, they're fine. It was worth it. Totally. We had the exact same experience with a spirit week. Oh, yes. And it was... I don't even know what color shirt day, like orange or something or yellow. I pretty much dress my kids monochrome like 90% of the time. <laughs> I mean, they have some color, but they wear like a lot of like black and gray and whatever. Until they can dress themselves. Listen, I buy the clothes, whatever. No, right. They kidding. can coordinate neutrals. It's, it's easy. just, yeah. yeah. And uh, and they have, well, they have some reds and things, but we don't have orange and yellow. And uh, my one son loves pink, but we haven't gotten him a pink item yet, but he would love one. And it was the same situation where it was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm really not just going to go buy an orange shirt to, like, mm -hmm. perform today. Right. You know? And that's okay. And and I talked it through. And, you know, turns out nobody else in the class showed up in this freaking color shirt anyways. Like, it wasn't even a deal. Mm -hmm. So allowing ourselves those moments is so, so important. Mm -hmm. One of the other questions that I had about... PMDD or like PMS kind of stuff is, is there any, whether it's like data or like anecdotal from your own practice, where PMDD becomes more prevalent after motherhood, like after birth? Or is it equally prevalent in like younger women? So the information I have off the top of my head, it can start anytime after the period starts. Okay. But that there is an increase around like the late 20s and early 30s, which for a lot of people is kind of like those reproductive years mm. that they have a kid. And whether it was like coincidental or whether it was related to the fact that they experienced pregnancy hormones and then are not or we don't really know. Whether that data was tracked, right? Like we don't know. We just know the age range. Right. We don't know. I don't know yeah. that. Yeah, no. We just know the age range. I think anecdotally people will say that it gets worse towards the period of time where you're like kind of pre-menopausal. But I mean, I don't know for sure. I think the data supports that it's like kind of around those reproductive years, 20s and 30s. 
but that after menopause, it should go away because you're no longer having those cyclical changes in your hormones. So that, you know, that's an important point is that for some people, the treatment option includes being on oral contraceptives that have like a continuous level of hormones because they're a bunch of different kinds. There's the kind that follow, you know, the typical pattern of a regular period. There are some that just kind of have like baseline level of hormones. And so we would typically use those because they don't have those big changes, which is what we believe people are sensitive to those big changes. So they have like a continuous level and that can prevent kind of the cyclical changes in mood that go along with those big hormone changes. So that's one treatment option that I neglected to mention earlier. I don't prescribe that option. I prefer that an OB-GYN kind of does the counseling around that, Mm -hmm. but that is another treatment option as well. Well, you said something really interesting to me there is that menopause and then like post-menopause, PMDD should lift because that Mm -hmm. cycle is no longer Mm -hmm. occurring anymore. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we think that it's the big change in hormones and when we're no longer having menstrual cycles or regular menstrual cycles, those changes should be less predictable and should eventually go away. Right. Which is so counter what I thought in terms of other mood and anxiety disorders, because that is another high risk time for onset of those things, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, You're right. Yeah. There's kind of like a two peak kind of time where it's like, around early 20s and then around 40s-ish. There's like kind of two peaks of time where psychiatric issues can present themselves in women or people who have uteruses and ovaries. Oh my goodness, so interesting. I feel like if I was to go back to school for something, it would be all things like brain and hormone related because I could like- fascinating. I could just spend all day learning about all of these pieces. Another question before we get into like when to seek help and who we seek help to and things Mm -hmm. is if in the postpartum period, if they're during the postpartum period, is there any exclusions for diagnosing PMDD during the postpartum period? Or is the main thing that you're looking for, again, that baseline being like an absence of mood and anxiety stuff in those first two weeks? Yeah. So we definitely don't want to be making this kind of diagnosis in the first few weeks postpartum because, you know, we're expecting most people to have some kind of baby blues, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety are extremely common. We want to definitely rule those out. And those would be way more common to present themselves in the postpartum time time. than PMDD. Right. Yeah. I mean, I probably never diagnosed PMDD during this time unless it was like, I definitely have this history. I already have my cycle back. So I would say in the immediate postpartum period, that's probably not what we're looking at. I can't say for certain for everyone's circumstances, probably not. Mm-hmm. But kind of in like the the later postpartum, you know, kind of after we pass the time where the cycle returns, we want to make sure the baseline is okay, but also recognize that, you know, you may also be in that window where it's more common that it presents itself. So look at the baseline track the cycles. There are definitely some evidence-based or validated ways of tracking. That's one of the first things that your clinician will want you to do is track it. Technically, a diagnosis of PMDD has to be five months in a row. So most people will make a provisionary or kind of like a, I kind of think this is the diagnosis before they actually have those five months of tracked data. Mm -hmm. But go ahead and start tracking the mood and bring that to whoever you're going to see because they're going to want that regardless. So you might as well start early so that you're not delaying your care 
if you already know you need to track your mood, just track it and bring it with you when you go. Mm-hmm. So interesting. That's really helpful. In terms of when to seek help, what are the kind of like the signs and symptoms or like at what point, I know from a clinical perspective, we say like interfere with daily functioning or like you said, yeah. interpersonal relationships. What kind of might concretely that look like for somebody who's trying to understand if this is them? So definitely track the cycles, right? And then look at where you are uh, in those two weeks before. Do you really feel different than your regular self? Mm. Are you acting differently than your regular self? Are you feeling more sensitive to rejection? Are you feeling more anxious or tense? Do you have physiologic changes like body changes? Are you having bloating or cramping? Or are you having like new pain of some kind? Um, there's a variety of different physical symptoms that you can see as well. What's different during that time and how different is it and how much is it bothering you? Mm-hmm. And only you can kind of decide where your threshold is. But I would encourage people to kind of like move that threshold down. It does not have to be the worst of the worst of the worst to meet criteria. It just has to bother you. Right. That's it. Yes. If it bothers you a little or a lot, doesn't really change things. It just means you waited way longer to get some care and you just let things bother you for way longer. Mm-hmm. So the criteria are not like bother you to an extreme. It's like it matters to you. It impacts your daily life. Lower the threshold. It does not have to be the worst of the worst of the worst to go get help. Well, that's just it. I think like impact, you know, like daily life or in order to be considered like clinical air quotes here. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that you need to be like debilitated and better not leaving your house? Like, no, we don't want to wait until we get to that place, right? right? It makes me think about like irritability and rage because I'm sure that that can probably be a big piece of this, right? Oh, Is yes. um, rage and irritability that presents itself and then it kind of subsides. Oh, totally, yes. And if that is impacting you and, and your relationships and just creating unnecessary conflicts and tensions, uh, you might not be on the verge of divorce, but it might be something that you want to investigate further and get some support in, right? Sure. Yeah, and you know, another kind of one of those red flags to me is when someone's like, Gosh, just sometimes I feel terrible and sometimes I feel fine. If you're having a lot of variability in your mood, that's kind of one of those things that makes me think like, let's go down this line of questioning. Let's like think about the timing of everything. Let's kind of tease all of that out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes a few months to be able to do that because you need some consistent data. But if you're saying like, oh, you know, I just feel like a different person sometimes or like sometimes I'm just really cranky with the kids and sometimes it's like totally fine. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of those things that makes me think like, let's explore this a little bit more. Even if it's not PMDD, we can still talk about ways to improve things for you so that you don't have those cranky times. Even if it's like four times a month that don't happen to be in those two weeks before your period, it's still impacting you and it still matters. Mm -hmm. So even if it's not PMDD, if that matters to you, it's still worth getting some help with, whether that's therapy or or whatever it might be. Yeah, You know, it doesn't necessarily have to sync up with your cycle to be a problem, but for this particular diagnosis, it does. Yeah, that's the whole reason why Dr. Rima Sharina and I have our Mommy Rage workshop and focus on that. That doesn't have to be tied to our cycle. That could be mm-hmm. tied to uh, the fact I didn't eat or sleep well or I'm stressed or whatever it is, but it interferes and we feel guilt and shame about it and we don't want to feel like the mom that yells at her kids all the time, you know, so definitely if there's something there about your mood or anxiety that is bothering you, whether it's regarding PMDD or not, there is therapy mm-hmm. or other options to help, you know, learn those skills and, and improve your mood. Mm-hmm. So 
Thank you so much, Dr. Michelle, for your time today. This was so fun. This was Where great. are you hanging out online? And I know you've got a really cool project on the go right now in Aluma. Like, tell us what you're up to. Oh, so many things. I could fill another hour with all my things. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. so momming. And then I, you know, practice perinatal reproductive psychiatry at Reproductive Psychiatry Clinic of Austin. So RPC is at um, on Instagram, RPC Austin. I am on Instagram at Dr. Nichelle Haynes. It's Nichelle with an N, which kind of makes me hard to search for, Nichelle Haynes. And then I am co-founder of a company called Aluma. We are a mental wellness self-discovery workbook. It comes with some immersive audio. So basically what you do is you have your workbook, you will listen to like either a guided meditation or, you know, some kind of audio to reflect on. And then there's a creative piece that comes with the workbook as well. So it's kind of, you know, using all of your senses, getting you kind of an escape for you know a short period of time designed for moms to just be, you know, beneficial and, and helpful for moms. So that's been a really fun project as well. Through clinic, we're like adding physicians, we are adding therapists, we are going to be launching a new thing relatively soon, whenever we can kind of get the final details going on that. So it's just like all the things are happening and it's all so fun and, you know, perinatal reproductive kind of centered. And it's just been lots of cool so fun things. to do all these different things. I love it. And it's such a necessary, it's such a hole in our like healthcare system. And so few people have access to the information and the resources that you provide online on Instagram and through Aluma, what you guys are doing have the workbook and I've gone through it. It's really cool. Helps like I love me personally a guide that teaches me how to kind of get into a new skill right? because yes. if you're kind of trying to figure out self-discovery and doing something for yourself for the first time, it's awkward. You don't know where to start. And so I love thank you. I love Aluma for that. So yeah, this the work that you're doing is so needed and necessary Aww. and valuable. So thank you for the way that you pour into your community, the way that you've poured into mine today. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I'm so like just so touched to hear that. And especially coming from you with all of the things that you're doing, it's an honor. And I have really, really enjoyed being here today. Thank you so much. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, for the girls who want more. 
Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.